0: Looking for a gift? Choose Bombas. Socks, underwear, t-shirts, they feel good and do good. With premium fabrics and thoughtful design, Bombas makes the essentials we all need in the way that we all want. So even your pickiest family members and friends will appreciate the gift of Bombas. And as always, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone in need. So give the good this holiday season with Bombas. Go to bombas.com legends and use code legends for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com legends. Legends code Legends for twenty percent off. Bombas.com slash Legends code Legends. This week on Myths and Legends, there are two Norse Christmas stories that have monks battling children, Christmas Eve piggyback rides, and murder. On the creature of the week, you'll see that if you're making a holiday drink run and you find yourself attacked by this monster, you better hope you're in a graveyard full of zombies. This is Myths and Legends, episode 300 A Slain Song Tonight. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This time, there are two Christmas stories from Sweden and Iceland. On the first, it's July. And a woman is traveling around looking for some help. And all she has are her five children and threats of intense violence. There was a knock at the door. Bjorn answered. A woman in ragged clothes stood surrounded by five children. She had her hat in hand. Bjorn said that he wasn't from around here. He was in town visiting his sister in medieval Sweden. But how could he help the woman? The woman and her children all wore birch bark shoes. Some wore cloth, some leather. All their clothes had holes. They were dirty. We live in the forest, sir, the woman said. They were just looking for some alms. The man shrugged. Yeah, sure. He'd love to help. He dug into his pockets. The woman pointed inside. She wanted that side of beef on the table. The man looked back. Oh, uh, sure. He would slice off a bit and wrap it in some paper for her. The woman said, no, he misunderstood. She wanted the whole side of beef. The man said, what? The woman nodded, please, or else we'll burn down your house. The man didn't understand what he was hearing. It'll be while you're sleeping, there'll be no survivors, we'll be sure of that, the mother pleaded. The man said the tone made it sound like she was still asking for stuff, but she was saying some pretty horrible things. Robber mother, the man's sister yelled behind him, so glad you're back and that my brother answered the door, wow, how can I help you? I see your eye in that beef, you want the beef? I'll get you the beef. That chair too, robber mother said pointing to an ornate carved chair. That was a gift from my late mother, family heirloom. You have great taste. It'll look beautiful in your cave. When the beef was bagged up and the chair loaded on the back of one of the bigger children, the sister thanked robber mother and her brood for stopping by. Close the door. Close the door. Was the last thing robber mother heard before the door to the house slammed shut. It was a profitable trip through the farms. Everyone was home, so by the time robber mother made it to the cloister, the children were all pretty loaded down with food. The monks were the stingiest. Well, they gave the most willingly, but only because they were the ones who could give willingly. They had this big stone wall that surrounded the abbey and lowered down six round bread cakes in a basket for the mother and each of her children. The mother complained, what about robber father back in the forest? Did he not earn any kindness from the monks? The basket did not lower again, and no one answered. It was all a ploy, though, to keep the monks focused on robber mother, so one of the children could find a weak spot in the wall. And today, for the first time ever, they found it. It was early summer, so the brother working the garden had the back gate open, dumping weeds out beyond the wall. He looked up from his weeding and saw Robber Mother standing there, inside the wall, with five of her children. The children were all looking around, milling this way and that, but Robber Mother was absorbed by the beauty of the garden all around her. You can't be here, the brother weeding the garden said. Touch me if you dare, Robber Mother looked up and glared at him. The monk told her that this was nothing personal, it was a monk's cloister, no women were allowed here for monk reasons. If she didn't leave, he was going to get in a lot of trouble. But she refused, so the monk got up and ran inside the cloister. He returned with two other larger monks. They rolled up their monk sleeves, which immediately fell back down because of their habits, and told the woman and her children that they needed to leave now. They did not anticipate robber mother leaping at them. Robber mother took the big one, hitting and biting him, while her five children swarmed the other two. In moments, the men were back in the cloister, and robber mother shook her head, trying to make it so she couldn't see the beautiful flowers. A few minutes later, she heard the bar on the other side of the door to the garden rub against the stone. I'll be fine, a man responded. Robber mother raised her fists and bared her teeth, but relaxed when she saw Abbot Hans. The man's walk was almost a shuffle, and the habit that had fit him in middle age now hung off of him. His jowls formed a smile, and he nodded at the woman and her children. He could see that they admired his garden. Few people would fight with such vigor to merely view it. Robber mother was honest. She said when she first saw it, she reckoned that she had never seen a prettier garden. Abbot Hans grazed the flowers with his finger. He loved it as much as a person could love anything earthly and perishable. But now, Robber Mother continued, she realized that it couldn't compare to one she knew of. Abbot Hans arched his eyebrows. Oh, was that so? The lay brother, the one that had followed him out, and now stood by his side, was not so bemused. Where? Where did she get the nerve to say that she knew of a more beautiful garden? Those were fighting words, but please don't fight them. They had already been beaten so badly by children. Robber mother said that if Abbot Han saw the garden she spoke of, he would throw this one out like weeds. The lay brother scoffed. Oh, that. That old myth. What? That Christmas Eve there was some beautiful blooming of flowers in Yoinge Forest? Yeah. You know what's actually in Yoinge Forest? That outlaw husband of yours robbing anyone who passes through. The lay brother said he'd wager his salvation that the stories are just that, stories. Abbot Hans turned to the lay brother. Monk-wise, there were a lot of things wrong with what he just said, but they talk about that later. Abbot Hans apologized for the brother. He was new. Abbot Hans, though, would love to see the flowers boom in the dead of winter in Yoinge Forest. Both Robber Mother and the lay brother had the same reaction. What? Abbot Hans said, yeah. He would love to visit, if, of course, they would have him as a guest. A smile curled on robber mother's face. Really? And why should they allow him in the forest? Did he know what happened to people who ventured in that forest? I've heard the stories, Abbot Hans said. But he'd also heard the stories of beauty, of God celebrating the hour of the birth of his son in the blooming of flowers. He would like to see those for himself. Uh, He could reward them, the robber family, for hosting him. Robber mother thought about it. Yes, they would have him. But he had to come alone, no cops. The abbot said, okay. Uh, He could take a lay brother with him though. He was in his 80s and a trip through the wintry forest, though never easy, had only become more difficult over the past few decades. Robber mother nodded, yes. One follower, a monk like himself. One of her children would come to guide them. Only they were to come to Robber's Cave. Robber's Cave. They named their home Robber's Cave, the lay brother asked the abbot when Robber Mother and the children left. Could they get more on the nose? Though uh, the woman's name was Robber Mother, so it's not like creativity was their strong suit. Good call though, promising to go to get rid of them, the lay brother laughed. As the other monks ventured out of the cloister to see that the attackers were gone, they rushed to the gate, locking it. When they come, we'll be all locked up. Don't worry about it, the brother said. Abbot Hans said, No. When they come, we'll be ready because we're going with them. Wait, we? The brother asked. Could they really be all bad? Abbot Hans asked Archbishop Absalon, visiting from Lund. The Archbishop said yes, the father was an outlaw. The Archbishop didn't know what he did, but it had to have been bad. Yet, every year they see God's celebration for the birth of the Christ child, and we don't. Abbot Hans looked out the window. Yeah, because they rob anyone who tries to travel through Yoenge Forest the archbishop rose. He wanted to see the abbot's garden. Outside, the abbot wasn't letting up. He said if God's glory could be manifested for them, maybe there was something there. Maybe they were redeemable. Only the father was declared an outlaw. The family was staying out of love for him. And I'm not going to give a pardon to the father and let him loose in the villages. It's better that he stays in the forest, the archbishop declared. Abbot Hans said... Maybe, but he wasn't so sure. That definitely wasn't the case for the children, though. They were growing up to be worse than their father, and they weren't even outlaws yet. Couldn't the archbishop see that he was just perpetuating the cycle? The archbishop said that the father wouldn't be pardoned, and he was tired of this conversation. I'm going to see the flowers, Abbot Hans informed the man. The ones that bloomed, Christmas Eve, in Ewinga Forest. He had been invited to the robber's cave and promised safe passage to see the blooming of the garden. He was going on Christmas Eve. The archbishop laughed. That would be the day. You know what? If the man who had just passed 80 made the freezing trek through the forest to a den of robbers and came back with one of the flowers, the archbishop would pardon the husband. Okay? Can they please stop talking about this? He really wanted to look at the abbot's garden. The archbishop had said it in jest but it was good enough for Abbot Hans. He would bring back a bloom from the forest of Yoinge and get a pardon for robber father. The frost stung the reds and oranges of autumn, and soon a blanket of snow covered Abbot Hans' little garden. The abbot was riding. It was Christmas Eve, and the child in his cloth and his bark shoes ran ahead of them. The abbot sat bundled but shivering atop the horse. The lay brother rode the horse behind him. The lay brother couldn't believe any of this. The blooming of Yuinga Forest was a legend. This was all just a way for the family of outlaws to get the abbot into their power. As soon as they were out there, the family would cut the lay brother's throat and send word to the cloister that they had the abbot. The monks would empty out all the stores to save the abbot's life. They were both going to their death. When he woke up that morning, he worried that he wouldn't live through the day. And seeing the sinister grin that child gave them, he knew he was correct. They trudged on through the forest. It would have been a beautiful, peaceful ride. The houses in the distance glowed as people ate, drank, and made merry within. The snow muffled the fields, it was like traveling through a brand new earth. Even Ewinga Forest was beautiful and peaceful. When they finally saw Robber's Cave in the distance, all three of them were shivering. Night was nearly there, and the soft glow of the cave actually seemed inviting. The brother helped Abbot Hans down from his horse and steeled himself. All right, here they go, into the lion's den. The brother was expecting to be set upon and have his throat cut the moment he walked in the door, so he was surprised that the grating was not that. It wasn't a cup of hot wine and a loaf of warm bread, though, either, because the family had neither of those things. The lay brother expected something out of the old stories. A treasure hoard, for one. The family, though, had nothing. They lived in a cave, a cave with bare walls. Their beds were heaps of grass. Their coats non-existent. Robber mother sat by a fire smoking in the center of the cave. And, oh, well, I mean, that was a nice chair. Little out of place, but, you know, nice. I hope you brought your own food, she said gesturing to the rusted iron pot of gruel. They were welcome to it, but it might not be up to their taste. Abbot Hans took a big scoop of gruel. He could handle quite a bit and, wow, no, sorry, was that bark? Mostly, robber mother said. Some time passed, and robber father came back from gathering wood in the forest, eyeing the visitors. By that time, Abbot Hans had settled into casual conversation with the bandit family. The lay brother was still waiting to be murdered. I just have to wonder, Abbot Hans asked the mother, did she miss her childhood? Robber mother asked what he meant. Abbot Hans explained, her life wasn't always like this, right? She used to live like the people in the village. She probably had warm Christmases with plenty of food growing up. Happiness, before she took up with me, an outlaw, is what you're saying. Robert, father, broke in. Abbot Hans, far from shying away from the topic, turned to him. Yeah, that's right. You're trying to get my wife to leave me. Robert, father, looked at Abbot Hans with disgust. Don't you want your children to be able to run through the streets with other children? To play and learn and grow and not live this sort of life? Abbot Hans asked. The father was... Silent. He might be an outlaw, but he was still a father. Of course, he wanted the best for his children. Abbot Hans said, Well, they wouldn't have to leave the father. Abbot Hans was in the process of securing a pardon from the archbishop himself for robber father. At <laughs> that, robber father laughed, and the rest of his family with him. The archbishop. That would be the day. You know what? If Abbot Hans manages a letter from the archbishop, he would walk back in town tomorrow. I'll hold you to that, Abbot Hans smiled. He took another big swig of gruel. Oof, never mind. Still terrible. We'll see what happens in the forest that night, but that will be right after this. From the creators of Dr. Death, Scamfluencers, and Over My Dead Body, Wondery goes deeper into complex true crime stories to give you an inside look at the facts. And now, Wondery is launching the ultimate true crime fan destination, Exhibit C. It's truly criminal. Dive deep into the most devious of scams, the coldest of cases, the most manipulative cults with Wondery's Exhibit C. This is where you can view all the evidence through a detective's lens. Go step-by-step through all the twists and turns of each true crime case. And then you can join the Exhibit C online community where you can access not just exclusive show merchandise, but also member-only content. You can also hear directly from top criminal and social justice experts, witnesses, and investigators as they take you beyond the evidence and into the case file. I think it's different from what's out there. If you like true crime, this is something for you. You can go beyond and join the community. I think it'll interest a lot of people. Join now by following Wondery Exhibit C on Facebook or find them on the web at wonderyexhibitc.com and listen to true crime podcasts on Wondery and Amazon Music. Exhibit C. It's truly criminal. They talked for a bit more, but then bells. Bells in the forest. The moment had come. It started off with light. Light far off in the forest. Then the nine of them, five kids, two parents, and two monks, were hit with warmth. It was like spring again. Spring in the dead, frozen forest. Winds came from the south, and seeds fell to the ground. And as soon as they hit the snow, plants, flowers, and trees sprung up. The people emerged from the cave. And Robber Mother? Robber Mother had been right. It was all so beautiful. The most colorful flowers spread around their feet. The trees popped with decoration. A berry bush swelled, and Abbot Hans bent down and plucked a strawberry. It ripened in his hands. He expected to see the kids attacking the forest, but they walked along, gathering fruit quietly and respectfully. A mother fox bounded out with her kits, and robber mother patted her on the head and complimented the children. Abbot Hans explored the warm forest, trying to choose the flower he was going to take to the Archbishop Absalon. Every one was more beautiful than the last. The air was so full of light life, Abbot Hans looked off in the distance. It seemed to stretch interminably. It was like they were no longer on earth. Lion played with lamb, snake with bird. It was like they had joined in the heavenly celebration for the birth of Christ. Abbot Hans spotted it. The flower. It was a tall white flower with a yellow center. It was beautiful. He dug his hands into the warm earth and pulled it gently from the ground. Alongside the growing choir of angels, Abbot Hans heard the lay brother. You see, the lay brother was the last to walk from the cave. He sneered at it, all of it. No animals played at his feet. The snakes and foxes fled from him. The lay brother knew what was up. This charade, They expected him to believe that the glories of heaven would be revealed to these people. They were outlaws. Why would God visit them? You know who this was? Satan. That's who this was. Satan was an angel of light before he fell. All this was a delusion. And from the look of the abbot, a willful delusion. The lay brother expected better of their leader, who was now on the ground weeping as he dug up a flower. This was all a deception, so robber father could be brought back to the village, so the devil could have an agent among the people. Well, if Abbot Hans wasn't going to speak out for the truth, then this lay brother would. Go thou back to hell, whence thou art come! He screamed in the wordiest, most redundant way to yell that. Like, we get it. If you yell at someone to go back to hell, you don't have to add where you come from. It's implied. It just goes to show how much he thought that through. Immediately, the singing ceased. The lay brother grinned. That's what he thought. Abbot Hans, with the family behind him, watched as the glory of heaven began to retreat at the accusation that it was actually a deception from hell. The warmth was the first thing to go. And with it, the flowers began to wither. Abbot Hans was so full of indescribable despair at watching everything he had lived almost 80 years in faith for right before his eyes evaporate in a moment. Worse, the flower in his hands began to warp and shrivel. In moments, it was a brown, curled, dead thing. Like all the other flowers in winter, tears welled, And then, Abbot Hans gasped. He dropped face down in the snow, in the cold darkness of the forest at night. The outlaw family ran to his aid. The lay brother rode through the night. The outlaw family had helped him wrap the body of Abbot Hans and offered him a place to sleep, but the lay brother couldn't look them in the eyes. He had chased away the glories of heaven, thinking the people unworthy of experiencing them. The only one unworthy, it seemed, was him. He stopped a posse from storming the cave when he explained that Abbot Hans just had a heart attack and he wasn't killed by the bandits and they kept Abbot Hans's body around until a warm stretch of days, when the ground was soft enough to dig. The lay brother was tasked with preparing the body, and when he removed the covering, something rolled out of Abbot Hans's hand. The lay brother picked it up and inspected it. A bulb. He thought back to the forest that night, to what Abbot Hans was doing when he had a heart attack. He was holding a flower. This was all that was left. The lay brother couldn't go to the funeral. He knew his actions had killed Brother Hans. And though no one held him guilty, he couldn't forgive himself. Instead, he found Abbot Hans's flower garden. It was overgrown. It had always been the abbot's love. And with him gone, the weeds strangled what perennials managed to peek their heads above the soil. The lay brother bent down, prickly job of clearing away the weeds. When he was finished a spot of soil, black with flecks of green starting to poke their way through, invited the bulb. The lay brother buried the bulb, watered it, and prayed. He prayed and tended to the garden, though there wasn't growth in the spring, summer, or autumn. He checked every day, pleaded with the people to give him some time before they repurposed the garden and the space. They allowed it, if only to honor the late abbot. But the lay brother gave up. He contemplated leaving the order. He knew what that would mean. But then, as he prayed at mass on Christmas Eve, he had a feeling. He excused himself and went downstairs. It was cold outside. It was the dead of winter. But there, in the wind, a white flower with a yellow center swayed. Tears came to the lay brother's eyes. Abbot Hans has kept his word, Archbishop Epsilon said. He was visiting on Christmas Eve, and he looked at one of the most beautiful flowers he had ever seen, blooming and healthy in the dead of winter. Abbot Hans kept his word, and I will keep mine, the Archbishop told the lay brother, fulfilling the man's one and only plea. He penned a note, and the lay brother, against the advice of everyone in the abbey, left immediately. I'd like to hack you monks to pieces, especially you, robber father said, when, at first light, he saw the lay brothers shivering before him. It was because of them that the forest didn't bloom the night before. They didn't have much, the outlaw family, but even that small yearly joy they once had was now gone, thanks to the monks. The fault is mine alone, the lay brother said. It was true, and it felt good to finally say that. I would gladly die for it, but first, I must deliver a message from Abbot Hans. He handed over the note, the pardon. This will be the last Christmas they would need to spend in the forest. Robber father was free now. He could return to the villages. Might want to change his name, but the children could have a normal life. It was what Abbot Hans would have wanted. Robber father and robber mother were speechless. Pale and shaking, they swallowed hard. Abbot Hans had kept his word, they would keep theirs. The lay brother helped them move out of the cave, but he didn't follow them back to the villages. He built a fire, fluffed a bed of dried grass, and moved in himself. He lived in the forest. A hermit, in constant prayer and meditation, that he might understand the love and grace of God, and be forgiven his hard-heartedness. The following morning, though, he gingerly unwrapped the one thing he had brought from the abbey, the flower. He planted the bulb in front of the cave. The garden never bloomed after that in Yoinge Forest, save for that one flower, the Christmas rose, which apparently comes back each year around Christmas time calling back to the time when the whole forest bloomed. Hileboros are a real flower, a winter-blooming perennial. Today's story was by Selma Lagerlof. I like this story because it didn't go the way I thought it was going to go but it forced a character to challenge his own prejudices and grow. I have to say though, I was won over from the moment I read the Monks v. Children Battle Royale in the beginning. Next up, it's the story of a person who takes a new job. A job where everyone else has died on Christmas Day. But that will, once again, be right after this. (laughs) All righty, great, great to have you join the team. One thing, and this is so small, it might as well be non-existent. Everyone who has taken this job has been found dead on Christmas Day. Okay, let me show you to your room. The man said, wait, what? The farmer laughed, yeah, it was just this little thing. Kind of why the position was open. You should thank them, but you can't because they're, they're dead. The new hire, the herdsman asked, how long has this been going on? The farmer looked to his wife. How long did she think? Four? Five years? Six, she said. Six. The farmer mouthed. Wow. You know, time flies. So, you gonna join or are you a coward? It's okay to be scared. It's not like your ancestors would have done it. Oh, wait, they were Vikings. Yeah, they would have. The herdsman said he wasn't scared. You know what? He'll do it. The farmer smiled. Great. Hilda would show him to his room. The herdsman had been hired in springtime, you know, with the recent opening after Christmas. So he almost forgot about the Christmas thing until, well, Christmas Eve. Hilder, you're staying to look after the house, right? The father told the servant. And you, you have the sheep to look after, right? One broke loose or something? The herdsman said, yeah. He didn't mention that. How did the farmer know? The farmer said it always happened on Christmas Eve. Probably nothing to worry about. The herdsman always had to stay home and, well, never mind. Anyway, goodbye. They were going to go to church all night. They will be home late. The farmer rested his hand on the herdsman's shoulder. It was an honor. The herdsman said, yeah, he would see the farmer tomorrow. The farmer smiled. Well, he, we'll see. The herdsman found the sheep shortly after they left. And once the herd was secured, went in the house. He nodded to Hilda, the servant, telling her that he was gonna go lie in bed armed and just stay awake all night, ready for the drogger or zombie or whatever had come for the other guys. Night. There, in the waning light of the afternoon, the herdsman stared up at the ceiling, blinked, and Hildur was standing on the edge of the room. Hey, Hild. Didn't see you there or hear you come in at all. He blinked again, and she had covered half the distance to the bed. And she was holding something. A whip and bridle? He said he viewed her as a friend, and frankly wasn't really into that instant. She was standing over him, and she shoved the bridle into his mouth. He didn't say anything more, because, well, the bridle, and he couldn't move. Couldn't move until she told him to. She led him from bed, and out the front door. The sun was down now. Wordlessly, she climbed atop his back, pointed him to the sky, and the herdsman rose. He screamed the entire way. It was terrible. Soon, they approached a yawning chasm, and she landed the sweaty herdsman on the edge. She fastened the reins to a large stone. Stay there. She turned to the chasm and jumped. The herdsman watched as long as he could. He couldn't move. The cold had started to set in as he crouched, rooted there in his pajamas. Then he realized something. She told him not to move from that spot. That's what he had to do. So he started working at the bridle. He chipped a tooth or two, but managed to work the metal from his mouth. The moment it was out, he pulled away from the rock. He stood, shivering on the top of a mountain. One side was the path home. In Iceland, in December. The other was the abyss. He figured he had as good a chance of surviving one as the other. So he turned the way Hildur went and jumped. Now, I wouldn't have done this. I would have tried to climb down if I was going to go into the mysterious dark hole, which, once again, would not have done. But it ended up not mattering he broke through the shadow and found himself in another world. Another land. Alfheim, the land of the elves. He slowed. One presumes because he doesn't splat on the ground. He scurried to the bushes as the procession passed. Then he rose without fear. He could do this because, of course, he held his magical stone that turned him invisible. You might be wondering, What stone? And yes, so am I. Seems an important thing to include, and I'm by no means a scholar, but I've read a lot of Icelandic folklore, sagas, legends, mythology at this point, and this is the first magic invisible stone that I've seen. We've seen rings for days, maybe a cloak or two. Uh, What I'm saying is that it seems like a swing for the fences to just give a normal herdsman a magical stone and ask us to roll with it. But we will. He's able to follow Hildur, because he's invisible, because he has a magical invisible stone. Anyway, he noticed some key details, in that Hildur wasn't a largely unnoticed servant in this realm, but obviously a queen. Her elf husband came and gave her a kiss. Her elf children ran up to her and hugged her. The peasants came and loaded her with golden rings and jewels, because I guess that's how it should work. Still, though, the people seemed to love Hildur, throwing a grand feast for her, and it says the herdsman found a spot where he could stay out of sight the whole time. Probably pretty easy with his magical stone. The night wore on, and Hildur's son, having gotten a ring from his mom to play with, did what kids do and immediately lost the ring. It rolled over to the herdsman where, yes, he snatched it up and stole it from the child. The night continued, and people began to grow sad. Hildur, it seemed, had to leave. Hildur, the Queen of the Elves, rose and addressed an elderly woman, begging her, "'Please, stop this curse. The visits are more pain than joy.' A crone rose, pointing her finger at Hildur. "'Yeah, that's the point. Her words would hold true in all their force.' Hildur knew the condition by which the curse could be lifted. Hildur wept and told her husband that this would probably be their last time. While she was up there, she was powerless.' they would find out about all of her murders soon enough. Kind of weird that they hadn't put it together already. She was the only one home when it happened, but they would never believe that they were against her will. It was at the mention of the murders that the herdsman thought, oh, wait, I should get home. He ran from the party and climbed a sheer rock wall. Sure. When he made it to the top, he slipped the invisibility stone back in his pocket, put the bridle back on, and waited. It wasn't long until Hilda returned and, without a word, leapt onto the herdsman's back and rode all the way home. How long do we have to stand here? The farmer husband, with his family circling the herdsman's body in bed. How long do we have to stand here a respectful amount of time, the farmer wife replied. Well, it's been 10 minutes and it's not like he cares, the farmer husband laughed, then screamed when the herdsman asked, who cares? The whole room looked at him surprised, he was alive? The herdsman nodded, he had the strangest dream. He recounted being bridled by Hilder, the pit, Alfheim, and the ride home. Lies, Hilder screamed, pointing a finger, "'Oh, yeah?' the herdsman asked. "'Then how'd I get this?' He produced the ring, the one that Hilder's child had dropped at the dinner. With that, Hilder's face lit up. It was over. The herdsman said, "'Really? How?' Hilder explained the curse. She was an elf from an impoverished family. She and the prince had fallen in love, and he married her in secret.' His mother used her powerful elf magic to curse Hilda to be a servant of the humans on Midgard. The only way the curse would be broken was if Hilda's many Christmas Eve murders were discovered and she was executed, or if some brave person followed her to Alfheim, learned the truth, and revealed it to those on this world. She embraced the herdsman, thanking him for freeing her from the yoke of this awful curse. She began to disappear. Wait, but didn't you commit, like, "'A lot of murders?' the herdsman asked. "'Murders that would have included him "'if he stayed tied to a rock on a frigid mountainside.' "'Ah, yes, but I was cursed to do so "'if I wanted to see my family, "'so I can't be held responsible. "'It was against my will,' she smiled a warm smile. "'Yeah, but you still did it. "'That's not how the legal system works,' the herdsman noted. "'Oh, I am almost gone from this world,' Thank you kind herdsman i go now to alfheim never to return Hildur said and vanished completely that's not you, you didn't answer for your crimes or anything that's he turned to the others that's that's a lot of murders right farmer said yeah it's it's a lot of murders bay hey, it's over uh, the herdsman said no the people had to know this farm had been cursed by a elf woman the farmer said yeah they would really like to move on from this. Would he like a lot of money? The farmhand blinked. Was the farmer trying to bribe him by his silence? The farmer said that when the herdsman put it that way, it sounded untoward. He was just offering a lot of money so the herdsman would not tell everyone they let an elf woman murder people at their farm for six years. that's That's a bribe the herdsman observed. Well, the way I see it, our herdsmen end up dead Christmas morning, and you're still alive. No one would bat an eye if you turned up dead. In fact, it would be weirder if you didn't turn up dead. Understand the implication here? The farmer leaned in with an exaggerated wink. The herdsman told him it wasn't an implication if he stated it, but yes, he would take the money and you won't tell anyone about the elf what elf the farmer slapped him on the back this guy he's gonna be alright and so the herdsman moved out started his own farm and to anyone who asked attributed his luck to the strange otherworldly elf woman who liked Christmas piggyback rides I'll admit to two things. One, not understanding the rules of lifting of the curse. They seem as convenient as the man having a magic invisibility stone in his pocket. And two, I'll admit to the bribe thing at the end. It just says that the man survived... and suddenly had enough money to start a farm of his own, where he was previously taking jobs where everyone ended up dead. So, I just connected those two very clear dots. Next week on the podcast, there are some stories from Jewish folklore, where we see a king's attempt at being clever go horribly wrong, and learn where you shouldn't kiss rabbits. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site but now you can also subscribe directly in Apple Podcasts for ad-free and bonus episodes. Check it out. The creature this time is Draugr of the Sea, from Icelandic folklore. Draugr, as we've talked about, are something akin to Scandinavian zombies, the undead. Draugr of the Sea, in addition to being the absolute worst discount tuna brand, or what happens when someone drowns in the ocean, and they're lost at sea. They're bloated, gray, and according to one source, if they're male, certain parts of their anatomy are overly large. Not sure why that's a thing, but it is. So yeah, the sea is apparently full of zombies. But not just the sea, because these things can shapeshift. They take the form of rocks in the shoreline, and lie in wait for their victims, in case you thought you didn't need to worry about rocks. Because it's also a gaslighting jerk, A draugr of the sea is only visible to its victims, too. So if you see a zombie sailing half a boat, their preferred method of transport, heading your way, maybe get off the beach. They apparently made an appearance on Christmas Eve, 1857, when, on the Norwegian isle of Leroy, the farmhands were having a great time until they weren't. They ran out of mead. Everyone was too scared to go out to the boathouse. So a young boy volunteered slash was shoved out the door by inebriated adults. He did meet a drogger of the Sea while trying to roll back a barrel, but the kid managed to knock the drogger over and make a run for it. The child knew he wasn't going to make it. Not without help. So, passing through a serendipitous cemetery, he cried out, Up, up every Christian soul and save me! And hands shot from their graves. One thing you should know, Draugr of the Sea and normal land Draugr hate each other. I'm not even sure why, but the Kig used it to his advantage. The Land Draugr used their coffin pieces as weapons. The Draugr of the Sea made seaweed whips, and the battle began. Luckily, they both lost, and even though the farmhands didn't get their mead, they got the very best Christmas gift of all, not being killed by Norse zombies. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.